Hello and a very warm welcome to the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark and today I'm delighted to be joined by some of the creative team behind the brilliant 12th Doctor fan audios and the most recent episode, Send Oods. So if you'd like to introduce yourselves and let our listeners know what your role is on the project, please. Hello, I'm Andrew. I'm the um, project lead and the um, head writer. And for this episode, I was the um, sound editor as well. I'm Kevin. I was the writer for this episode. I also helped out in the earlier stages of production with some of the casting and managing the recordings and even directing and sound editing. And that's tailed off as my schedule has gotten ridiculous. But um, the team's been doing a brilliant job without me. So I think it's okay. I'm sorry about leaving you guys in the lurch, but I'm very proud of this script, and I think you guys did a fantastic job bringing it to life. And I'm Clara Laherty, and that feels friggin' good to say. Woo, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I recently came out on social media, so uh, my, my, my pen name is Dylan O'Hara, and I previously appeared on this podcast in that capacity. Uh, my name was never Dylan. I was lying. What a twist. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty apt the story, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just true to the spirit of the show, you know? Uh, anyway, I write the music. I write some of the music for this show, and I've been involved since the first episode, and I wrote, wrote some for this one as well. Fantastic. So, uh, without further ado, let's hear the trailer for Send Oods. I need you to steal something for me. What? I need you to steal me. Meet Nelly Fletzel. You're going to be her for the time being. It's a bit weird to get used to. It's inconspicuous. Inconspicuous? Have you seen me? Well, hello, sugar. Hello, gorgeous. How are you doing today? Hi, sexy. I'm great. You? And who is he to you? The doctor's a partner of a source. Any trouble I get into, he'll bail me out. Strike team is ready. Unleash our secret weapon. Ooh, on jet skis! In even the best of heists, you will lose people. Oh my god, get me out of here! Get me out of... Jesus Christ, get me out! All callers are subject to our confidentiality clause. Indico Cove is not responsible for injury or loss of life while using the doctor line. Call now! So it's a very long wait until we see more Doctor Who on television, and a great way of enjoying new stories in the meantime is to delve into the 12th Doctor fan audios, if you haven't already heard them. Uh, so we're going to talk about this latest episode, with hopefully without spoiling anything, because uh, it, uh, it's obviously got some twists and turns. Um, it's, uh, it's a lovely, I think it's a spoiler to say, it's a lovely heist movie pastiche. Mm-hmm. How, how is that in terms of, uh, of researching? So as Suppose for for Kevin, in terms of writing, did you sort of delve into a lot of uh, like heist movies and TV shows, uh, and musically as well? Clara, is that something you uh, do you sort of uh, bring up uh, hustle on the iPlayer or anything like that? <laughs> uh, Kevin, you go first. Well, for me, I am an exceptionally ADHD person, so my ability to focus on research tends to be kind of lacking. So for a lot of writing this story, it was less pulling from heist movies, though there there were some in my brain, like Baby Driver was definitely probably stylistically bubbling away in there somewhere. But a lot of it just came down to me looking at Doctor Who's plot structures, like time heist, that kind of thing, and going... What are the tricks that time travel brings to this genre and 
how can I pull off a bunch of cheap tricks to make it exciting and see what spirals out from there? Honestly, the heist part was sort of just me going, I want to have fun with this concept. It was a sort of actually rush replacement script for some other ideas that fell through. So I took some of those ideas. I took a heist stylings and I just sort of let my brain go crazy for a few days. That's brilliant. Uh, I also had my influences. See, the thing is, I came onto this project in, I want to say, June of 2020. And I was sent like the kind of list of summaries of every episode. And I was like, okay. And, I, and uh, between then and now, anytime I had an idea for something that could be good for an episode to be like kind of in the mix, I would like jot it down. So by the time I got, now I'm getting to the stage where like when I, I'm starting work on an episode, I have a list of like 12 things that could be good to draw on. So I was looking at like, now you see me. Do we know now you see me? Uh, like Brian Tyler's score for that. I was looking at Catch Me If You Can. I was looking at like jazz pieces that I like. And uh, those are those are the main things that actually ended up going in. And then like I had another bu- a bunch of other ideas for stuff that I could draw on like Men in Black that just ended up not really fitting into the space. But like, yeah, absolutely. I, I often like... Uh, look to other stuff that I enjoy, and it's just kind of like to see see what I can pull the pull together, and see what different styles and ideas I can staple together, and like stuff ends up suggesting itself just because you're scoring a particular scene and you're trying to capture a particular effect and emotion and intensity and all of that. Now, spinning off that, I think that was a lot of how the script ended up developing itself too. Uh, I usually I'm more of an outliner than I was for this one. For this story, I actually approached it as more of a bullet point list of moments and ideas I wanted to happen and then just sort of shuffled them around. And as I went finding where those different pieces fit, I sort of found that different plot twists or different emotional beats I hadn't been expecting sort of unraveled themselves, especially with regards to the companion, uh, Ella, and her arc, because I feel like a lot of the time when you're telling a story, if you have an ear towards the characters and an ear toward the situations you're putting them in, as a result, they are going to have say, things to say about what they're going through. And that gave me a lot of the heft for the back half of the story, I think. I really agree with that. And it's crazy to me that you didn't like, well, not that you didn't outline this, but that this was a less outlining story because this is like very tightly structured yeah, to so, me. It's so tight. It's, um, yeah. It's, as soon as Clara had read the script, I chatted to her on call about it, just because I wanted someone to someone else to rave to about it, because I hadn't had the chance for so long. It's really, really good. Um, sorry, go on, carry on. No, absolutely, tight as a drum, and like, yeah, yeah. I did, I think that's what I wanted to say. That it's just like very tightly structured. I think the trick to tightly structuring a plot like this is. You give yourself a bunch of Chekhov's guns and find fun places to set them off. That's a lot of what this script comes down to being, just Mm. finding ways to seed things or even as I'm writing, realize, oh, that just set up something fun I could do later. And then just writing sort of back and forth and back and forth, just going, that's fun. Do that. That's fun. Do that. But even sometimes there were points where extremely obvious connections didn't occur to me. There was one where Andrew had to suggest to me, you have a character who is perfect for this situation. Why are you not bringing them into this (laughs) scene? (laughs) 
That was that was possibly my um, favorite note I gave anyone. I think for redrafting, <laughs> and like you know, credit goes to Kevin. All the credit for writing the scene and you know having the characters that that thing could be suggested. It's um, it's where um, yeah, there um, yeah, it's where um. Yeah, without wanting to spoil it for the listeners, but kind of clue Mark in a bit. Um, it's the bit where um, Ella, in disguise, has to do something that she's not particularly, um, you know, experienced with. And um, as such, they have to um, enlist the help of their best boy, in the words of the <laughs> <world. laughs> uh, I, I think a lot of the time when you're writing a script, especially if you've got clear sort of stylistic influences you've got clear characters your brain sort of lives in a specific space where ideas are bubbling whether you realize they're there or not and sometimes Mm. the job of both the writer and the editor is to go your idea is right there focus on it because Mm. a lot of writing i think is a lot less conscious than you would think it is yeah, I was quite interested in uh, what you saying about the sort of Chekhov gun things. Uh, I've read that when they uh, when they film a James Bond movie, they do the cue scenes last because they don't know what gadgets he's going to end up needing like for the rest of the film. So they put that in last. So yeah, I was wondering about the 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 kind of the setup bits. Uh, you know, whether you you came to those last and wrote in the bits that the characters were going to need once you had an idea of what situations they're getting to, or or was it all there from the start sort of thing? It was a mixed bag for me. I mean, I basically stole that cue approach where I wrote in, okay, I have a number of basically gadgets that I can pay off. What would be interesting to have in there? What kind of situations might arise? I wrote out a list of things. I had plans for some of them. I ended up cutting others, and then I ended up going back and then adding other things. I realized, oh, this would be really fun to throw in, like, I can't remember when the idea of throwing a rock in the bag came to mind, but it ended up being one of the most important things I needed. So mm-hmm. I, it's one of those ideas where the payoff and setup sort of just blur together in my brain. I can't necessarily remember when I put certain details in or when I took them out, but I think having that structure to fall back on made it very easy to build a plot because it was just a case of going, what amuses me? What could I put in there that people, obviously, when you put in like the cues bag of tricks or whatever, people expect all of those things to go off. So the question is, how do you put that in so people don't expect how it will happen or don't expect certain things to be used? Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love the um, little inventory check that you um, yeah, do there. I love the um, little line, was it, um, was it where um, it's um, where um Daphne is um, listing the inventory for the backpack, and she says, "One lipstick, lipstick, soporific." And then, El- and Ella's going, and Ella's responding to the list. Yep, yeah, check, check. Wait, what? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I feel like it's not really Doctor Who if you don't have some really just colorful, out there, bizarre things, and especially if it can mm-hmm. be a deep cut towards River Song. I am all. Yeah. <laughs> And then in terms of the, the sound editing, Andrew, because mm. you've got the, a lot of non-linear stuff, especially earlier on, because it's like the mission started, but then there's, there's flashbacks. How much, is that, how much is that a challenge to make it clear, which is done very well, I think, that it is, it is a flashback to an early point in the story? And I guess for Clara, in terms of the, 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 you know, the sound as well, how do you, are you, uh, what, what are you doing to differentiate that as well? 
Yeah, so with regards to the sound editing, I mean, it wasn't too much of a challenge, I found, because it was all there in the scripts. You know, the one thing I felt I needed to do just to really clearly mark it out is just have the whoosh flashback effect. That is literally yeah. it. Um, yeah. You know, it's um, just to make sure that, you know, the connections are clear between each scene, um, basically. Um, and, you know, you've got to, I think you've got to um, think about when are you, yeah, the light gags. It's also clearly laid out in the script. You know, like there's um, mm -hmm. a big montage sequence towards the end as well that just cuts between locations and then the doc and then back to the doctor and Ella planning the heist originally, and then you know to all the various threads that are going on in the story while there's a big countdown going on. It's, it's yes. a terrific sequence. I really love it. Um, yeah. Again, um, but you know, it's and it's just all again. It's just all there in the script, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, so a lot, you know, when you're um, editing a thing like this together, I think um, <laughs> Stephen Moffat um, has a jokey bit in an Oxford Union um, script where he says, you know, your whole job is just you've got to write it all down, essentially, um, before, you know, all the directors get all the credit, but the writer's the one who has to write it all down. But in this case, I think a lot of the credit does go to Kevin because he did write it all down for me and I just had to follow the instructions, really, that were laid out quite nicely for me you know it's um i think from there it's just kind of finding you know like interesting ways to realize it really um and make sure that it you know um sounds layered and textured and that you know the characters are responding to each other and it feels like a conversation rather than dialogue pause dialogue you know and they're pausing too long and being too polite for each other for the situation they're in which i'm sure kevin himself will know from you know, his own experiences editing episode one and episode four. The only thing that I had to do with regards to like differentiating scenes is actually when there wasn't a time jump, just like one scene going into another, both uh, being in like, what, what's the name of the place? What, what's the name of the, Indigo Cove? Yes. Yeah, yeah Indigo Cove. It was the Russell it, T. Davies school of just throwing two poetic words together and seeing what happens. Base, <laughs> thanks. It worked. I, 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 was con I was halfway wondering if it was from the show, so good job. But Indigo <laughs> Cove. Uh, yeah, there's a bit where like it's two different scenes and they just walk from one room into another. And like I, I felt, okay if I don't do something with the music here, it's not, I, I don't think it's super clear that these are two separate scenes or that there was like a small time skip here. So like I deliberately just like took the same kind of motif that I was doing and then shifted it into different instruments. And I think that that does set the vibe. Mm -hmm. The actual trickier time jump stuff is like so different that it's immediately obvious. So that was grand. I'm actually amazed that you guys are giving me as much credit for that because I was terrified I wasn't clear enough in the script. I remember <laughs> listening to some early sound edits and going, I know what's going on here, but will other people know what's going down here? I'm not sure. Oh, no, did I do something horribly wrong? And then when I heard the finished product, I was like, oh, my God, you guys did a fantastic job making oh. everything so clear, so crisp, so easy mm -hmm. to follow. I only hated myself for one or two lines instead of the whole thing. <laughs> The, the second time I listened to it, that uh, I was listening to it, kind of thinking about it a bit more, and you know what a challenge that is in terms of you know on TV you can do that obviously in in mm -hmm. or any, uh, something like that you can obviously very clearly show when they're back at their base planning compared to when they're already out on the job, but um, yeah, it's very very deftly done, definitely. I particularly like that structure just for audio. I think it actually offers more benefits than you might think. 
because mm. all the cross-cutting is happening, it means you have sort of an organic way for the characters to narrate the action. You, mm. it's, you get to avoid the, look over there, there's a rock, it's this color, blah, blah, blah. But you get to have the characters describing what's going on and responding to it in real time mm. in a way that I think makes a very action-based story work. And obviously it's not a spoiler to say that the Ood are in this story because... Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love an Ood with a name like Kenny, uh, like Brian the Ood from Time Lord Victorious. It's, um, there's, yeah, there's something brilliant about giving an Ood a very kind of everyday sort of old man name like that, I think. Um, <laughs> that so could be my next bit. I could bring back Brian the Ood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I think we wrote this before Time Lord Victorious was a thing, right? I, my brain on time scales yeah, is fuzzy we did. now. You did, yeah. Yeah, but it, it, it tickled me a lot to put an Ood in a very sort of mundane setting. A lot of this story came mm. from, uh, in terms of research, I did go back and watch Planet of the Ood, which I think is mm. one of the best episodes of the new series. And mm. it has mm-hmm. all these concepts it throws in that aren't necessarily played with as much as could be done. So mm-hmm. especially the uh, Ood voice uh, orbs and the different uh, comedy voices they had them play with, I immediately thought, well, there's a story with that. And so the idea of having Ood sound in different ways is sort of irresistible for audio in general and being able to mm-hmm. plop a bunch of different kinds of Ood into mm. what sort of mundane situations people might create for them. Because we don't, we don't get much of a view of what kind of servant work they do, actually, mm. in the show. We see them on a base and we see them in a very industrial setting, but we don't see them in the mundane world. I thought it was really fun to play with that. To have a call center staffed by Ood because I was getting a lot of spam calls at the time and just was wondering what might happen there. And also, is your refrigerator running? Yes, I had to put that in there. And also to, uh, (laughs) and also to just play with. I thought it was very funny to do a romantic story with an Ood. Why not? Yeah. Oh, yeah. he's yeah. staffing a phone sex line as well no less sometimes you think of ideas where you figure if it makes you laugh and you're having fun writing about it hopefully other people will also have fun because yeah. I feel like a lot at the time I'd written a lot of very serious grim heavy stuff and I just wanted to have some damn fun <laughs> Mm-hmm. Though, of course, this being you, um, you know, this is my joke I go to again and again about the episode. Sorry, Kevin, is that, you know, yes, it is zippy and fun and silly and it's it's brilliant. But also, Jesus, it gets dark, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was going back listening to these sound edits and there was a certain scene involving a certain room Ella has to duck into mm-hmm. that I had kind of forgotten how brutal it was. <laughs> And I was listening to it going, oh, dear God, what have I done? Squelchy. It's horror that's already in the, like, that's it, there in Planet of the Ood and, you know, implied mm-hmm. by the general existence of them in the show, you know. But, yeah. And I think in general, when you write something, it, it's sometimes hard to mm-hmm. gauge just how far the emotions and feelings might go. Like, you have an idea of what you're going for tonally, but when you add actors, when you add sound effects, when you add music, 
suddenly things take on a lot more meaning and it's kind of revealing for me in case in terms of does this work does this not work what is this going to make me feel i think i'm very happy to say i think it made me feel the things i should have even if it wasn't always the things i expected to feel yeah yeah um actually i'm going going briefly back to um the um I think yeah to um the just the concept of the call center and the voice field session my my other favorite um the other note I gave that I was also very pleased with um that I thought definitely paid off for the story was um you know yeah your original idea and I think it was a good one was um to have like one of the ood with the voice filter be the one with Kenny's role you know one that had been given a voice filter to make them more sound more appealing for the particular line that Kenny works on um, mm-hmm. but you know, I felt that the one that, um, should have the romance should be one with just a regular Ood voice. Cause I, I do think that just makes the episode funnier. Um, yeah, yeah. Kind of, again, you're absolutely right. The tone of, <laughs> yeah, the gnash of tones that goes into the episode, you know? Yeah. yeah I, I think mm-hmm. having the regular Ood voice made some of the more prickly romantic conversations hit harder mm-hmm. for me. There's one in particular moment where Mm. there is a phone call between Kenny and his love interest, Mm. sort of challenging him on expectations and dehumanization of the Mm. Ood, which I thought having that voice and the slightly noncommittal emotions of an Ood's voice, I thought that really made it quite stirring for me. Mm. Yeah, and... uh... I'm not going to name names because it would be it would be bad too. But someone in the comments during the live stream was saying that it uh, kind of hit home for them, with, specifically mm-hmm. with regard to like long distance relationships, which is a different thing again. But there's a lot of things in the mix mm-hmm. here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's just cool that that like the freedom that fan works give you to do a Doctor Who story that's kind of digging into the dynamics of sex work. Yeah, you know, in a way that you I know mean, doesn't feel yeah. completely tonally at odds with the um, you know, franchise mm-hmm. either. But you know, it's yeah, yeah. if only it's... because the franchise is quite horny. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's definitely a step beyond Amy Pond as a kissy glam. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, sex is bubbling underneath so much of Doctor Who, and it's sort of I think really rewarding to try and, and ask what it means for the series, as long as you don't do it in a sort of point and laugh Mm. immature way because a a lot Mm. of my friends are in the sex work industry i hear their conversations regularly i Mm. i ask them all sorts of things because i'm just fascinated about worlds i don't understand and i think you Mm. can have mature conversations about that in ways that are accessible for any age without Mm. going down to a cyber woman in a metal bikini or sex gas or anything like that (laughs) yeah i I think Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat both did a very good job of asking what sex means for Doctor Who in stories like, you know, Mm -hmm. The Doctor Dances, that kind of thing. And I I thought it was really rewarding to sort of use the trappings of the aesthetics to sort of Mm -hmm. ask about relationships, because a lot of stories, I think, can and should come down Mm -hmm. to relationships. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things I love about the... um, scene you were talking about earlier without again going too specific is that Kenny's love interest is 
kind of a bastard at least at the start of that scene you know it's um you know he's you know you know it does you know because it's digging into the way that you know it's a very one-sided dynamic at that point in the story um in them and um you know it's um because um again without not getting into too many spoilers kenny is in a bit of a dire spot at that point in the story and he opens the conversation by saying that to max his love interest and you know and max's response is to still kind of um feel offended at a perceived slight that kenny um gave him earlier which and you know i think it's yeah it's it's digging into an interesting kind of yeah dynamic that's yeah I think it was important for me as the writer of a story about, ooh, the slave race who are mistreated by humans to not go, mm. oh, well, this guy's just all right because he likes an ood, therefore everything is fine. Because in real life, bigotry is more complicated mm. than that. Well, you'll get good people who say stupid things or who've internalized stupid things, and they mm. have to work through that. And I think being dishonest mm. about that would have lessened the story. I think it, the relationship yeah. hits stronger because he's given the space to say some of the wrong things and still mm. pull through in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You felt like a logical extension of the youth being this exploited race that mm-hmm. ultimately they would be exploited for sex as well. You know, it's kind of the mm. the nature of things, isn't it? That, you know, like, the internet being launched as this amazing platform for communication and and sharing of knowledge is uh, uh, you know, then quickly uh, you know quickly used for, <laughs> for 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 porn and sex and everything as well. So yeah, it felt it felt like a, a very natural progression in a way that yeah the, maybe the series wouldn't do so explicitly, but like you say, you've got the um, the space to do that in um, you know in kind of fan work like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like uh, the Doctor and Ella's relationship. Uh, it's changed slightly uh, in this in this story and and um, and, and evolves somewhat. Uh, and in particular, I thought the twelfth Doctor was quite kind of reminiscent of the New Adventures seventh Doctor here um, in terms mm. of sending companions on missions and uh, knowing more than he's letting on and, and kind of being manipulative. So mm. I don't know if that was a, that was an influence or whether you saw links between the two incarnations at all. That this new adventures are definitely an influence on, in general, how I see the Doctor Companion relationship and how I can push it. I was especially reading a lot of them at the time of writing this. I've sort of fallen off the wagon for a bit now and mean to get back yes. on it at some point. But one of my earliest questions to Andrew was just, where are the Doctor and Companion at this point in the arc? And sort of how can I get them from one point to the next? So that was always in the forefront of my brain to say, how can I make this a story about them? And I was given, you know, a doctor and companion-like premise, so that means I don't get to play with them as much. So for me, it was sort of an interesting challenge to figure out how I could make this a story. I think I was especially interested in making this story about the companion because I think that's where the show is always really about in the end mm-hmm. without her being there. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was sort of one of the biggest writing challenges to yeah, me. Yeah. And... It was really my goal to ask, what does the current emotional situation she's in as, well, to give a general overview of the series, now currently a permanent resident of the TARDIS, for better or worse, what does that emotionally mean? What will that ask of you, and is that healthy? I mean, that's also not just a New Adventures thing, but a major force of the Capaldi era. We've seen 
how unhealthy the Doctor and Clara's relationship is. We've seen how Bill getting pushed gets her very nearly killed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a very natural story to examine. Mm. Yeah, no, agreed completely. It's, um, yeah, that, because, yeah, at this point, I think, um, yeah, going off from the um, new adventure thing, I think that isn't, you know, mm-hmm. that's very much a thing that has, yeah, obviously, um, yeah, makes mm-hmm. complete sense that you were um, reading them at the time you, um, yeah, I do remember you, you know, actually tweeting and, uh, you know, posting about it, you know, on the various servers we're a part of. Um, but like, yeah, it's uh, around that time. So yeah, that makes sense now. And it does make complete sense that that would have been in your mind when you were writing that story. Now you've made the connection. But also I think just the new adventures in general, having not read so many of them myself, I've read Human Nature and I've read um, Time Worm, um, Genesis. That's Paul, that's Paul Cornell's first one, isn't it? Um, Revelations. Revelations. Revelation, not Genesis, yeah. Um, yeah, Genesis, yeah, that one. Ah. Um, but yeah, no, um, having read having read Time One Revelation and um, the other one, um, Human Nature, you know, it's, um, yeah. And also, you know, from what I understand about them, you know, they are hugely influential on how New Who has approached the Doctor being characterized and the companion and the relationship between the two of them. So it's always going to... Um, have echoes if you um if you're trying to draw on the spikier elements i think of the um doctor companion relationship and that's very much what um yeah starting with levitalia to a smaller degree and then this episode and the next few are all going to be digging into basically you know um you know first half of the series about establishing ella as a character where her arc's um, beginning to go, and then the second half is kind of taking all those things to their logical kind of conclusions, or what for me felt like kind of the conclusion of where I wanted to go with her arc. And I think Kevin tapped into that really beautifully. There's um, some moments in here that, um, you know, and yeah, I think um, just decisions like making this a story where, you know, because I'd asked for, a, as he said, a companion and Dr. Light story that sort of centered on um, the Ood, basically. Um, yeah, like, yeah, sort of the character that ultimately became Kenny. Um, and I think his decision to make it still a Doctor and Companion light story, broadly speaking, while still heavily featuring the Doctor and his relationship through Ella with, through his voiceover and, like, the mission he sets, Ella, and, you know, featuring Ella as still essentially the protagonist of the episode through because she's in disguise this time, you know, that really is savvy choice um and he find he found a lot of interesting things to do with the space that ella's in within this point in the series as well um and just you know there's some moments that were just lovely bits of serendipity too um there's a line where um ella um accuses the doctor of in episode five where um, um the history of sadness where ella accuses the doctor of being her landlord um and this was written completely independently of that um I think before, I don't think James and Kevin had actually coordinated this thing. I had, had a thing, think of that you know. script and deliberately put that in, actually. So, not serendipity, I just stole. <laughs> oh, you did this. I take it back. I'd, I'd thought, I, I've been lying to myself all this time. But, um, no, that's also good. But see, that's that's smart, too. That's, you know, that's paying off the previous scripts, and it worked really well, you know. Um, 
in general, as a writer, I like confines. I like knowing <laughs> this is the box you are in. This is what you're playing with because that tells me what I'm responding uh, to. So mm-hmm. having peeked mm-hmm. at that script mm-hmm. and knowing that state of the relationship mm-hmm. told me where I could push things. You told me a bit yeah. about where Ellis place in terms of the TARDIS and her relationship to the ship as well as to the doctor was and things you sort of wanted to sprinkle in. And that mm-hmm. meant I knew where I could end the story as well as where I could start mm-hmm. it. Stuff like that really informed my decisions and I think made it a stronger story because you had such a clear idea of what you wanted to do and were so generous and communicative about where things were going. Thank you. Yeah, I think with a project like this where you've got lots of people working together on it, you've got to communicate with your writers what the plan is. Otherwise, how is it going to like cohere in any meaningful sense? You're going to get a different companion from episode to episode and yeah, then yeah. you don't have all the stories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like you, you, you do have to plan it out, and you do have to have a clear ideas of the characters as the arc, as the character arc. Yeah, and I, I have written projects in isolation where there's spoiler phobia or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. People are very precious about their ideas, and they don't mm-hmm. encourage that kind of communication. And I'm proud of the work I do for those sorts of things, but it's a lot harder mm-hmm. to know if what you're doing is right, if what you're doing is fitting in. And as a result, you can't really do as much emotionally or thematically with the series as I would like to, because as a writer, when I'm fitting into a collaborative project, the exciting thing for me is going, how can I play with everyone else's ideas as well as my own? How can I connect mm. things? How can I build together? Mm. Yeah, I definitely think for me, one of the things I really like is really compelling about the Talk fan audios is the the way with Ellie, you've got the almost like a classic companion who's aboard the TARDIS because the Doctor can't control the TARDIS mm. and can't take them home. Mm. Um, but you've got a Doctor who has the ability to take her anywhere, but she just doesn't have anywhere else to go. So it's it's a really, really interesting dynamic and, and situation that she's in like that. So it's, uh, yeah, I find that a really compelling thread through all the stories. Definitely. Uh, so is anybody else in the cast that you particularly want to, uh, to to mention? Obviously, we've talked about the you know, sort of writing and music and different things. Um mm. Absolutely. I mean, straight straight away, I really want to give a big shout out to Naomi Brunt, who is um, Ella for this story, for the bulk of it. She plays Ella in disguise, and she's terrific, isn't she? I mean, it's um, yeah, like you know, we have we have a week with Laura having a more minimal role. Um, she's still in this one, um, but, you know, like. Um, and you know, um, but you know, like I think it, I think it's fair to give our leads who were doing so many episodes a bit of a break, you know, um, in recording once yeah. in a while, or just give them an easier episode in terms of workload. Although Gilm ended up playing the Ude and the Doctor, and yeah, so uh, that that so well, sorry, dude. Um, yeah, um, I'll get to giving him a big shout out in a moment, but. Um, yeah, no, Naomi was um, fabulous. She she was one of the people who originally auditioned for Ella, um, and she was, you know, this close to getting the role. And so it was, um, that was one of those no-brainers when we had, you know, like, you know, when we were trying to figure out roles to give her, and then Kevin came to me with Ella in disguise. I was like, well, great, we've got Ella in disguise for the episode because, you know, she's right here. And um, I think she just gets the tone of the script so perfectly. She gets the humor of it as well as the um drama and um yeah she's just really really good um everyone in the um cast is wonderful like i said 
big shout out to Guillaume too because this one he um yeah was meant to be on a break but instead he'd um I mean as I think he's said before um he was um already working for us he already did some work for us and that was when he started on the project as like when he was doing various monster voices he has done the Daleks um in his like little episode six cameo and for later in the series when the Daleks crop back up properly um you know he's mm-hmm. he'd done the Ood here he'd done episode seven he played Jacques Misson um but in um you know but some um, originally he wasn't um, down to be the doctor he'd auditions um and he was um yeah and he was good in the auditions but um yeah we, we were originally going to have someone else that fell through and he gamely stepped up to the plate to do that as well but the end result of that was we um we 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 had the episode that was meant to be doctor light with our doctor actor playing you know everything and He's yeah. he's terrific in it, seriously. So so good. Um, like yeah, like he's doing two distinct impressions, and he's wonderful with both. And he has to play a real emotional range. He plays the emotions of Kenny's story wonderfully. Um, there's definitely some of I think get yeah, wonderful kind of sadness and ache that Capaldi brings to the role in his like later scenes in the episode as well, where he and Ella kind of just process everything that's happened and he's trying to communicate to her, you know, what it means to live the type of life he does that's very reminiscent of stories like I know, Mummy on the Orient Express, for example, where Twelve's trying to do the same for Clara and he yeah, he plays that stuff wonderfully. So they were great. You know he's doing well because you just called him Capaldi. Oops. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, sorry, Guillaume does that like Capaldi. That's probably what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only second the praise to Naomi for stepping into Ella's shoes for this episode. Mm. I'll admit there was a part of me that was a little disappointed to know Laura is so amazing and I get so little of her. But I think <laughs> Naomi did a great job making up for that loss by being brilliant in her own right. And I'd also like to shout out to my friend Ben Patton, who plays the manager oh, in this yes. episode. Such a good God, villain yes. performance. I, I knew I loved his yeah. or their work. My apologies. Yeah. I know I loved their work from um, their Game of Rassilon podcast, where they do mm. Doctor Who role playing game as first as a dungeon master and now mm. as one of the players, where they turn in so many different impressions, so many different wonderful bits and performances, mm. and. I knew they had the range, yeah. and I was really honored they were willing to come in and play the role for my episode. I thought they absolutely killed it. Yeah, I think we've um, plugged Game of Rassilon when we've had actors on the series um, in episodes before. But yes, again, do listen to Game of Rassilon. Um, you know, they're on their second Doctor now. Um, uh, Dan Beck, yes. who was um, in episode two mm-hmm. as... Um, yeah, the villain of that episode. Um, and, yeah, following on from Riley Silverman, who was a wonderful first doctor yes. in that series. And, yeah, it's it's so... Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a really inventive fan um, audio series. Just tons of wonderful, mm-hmm. giddy, thrilling concepts. And, you know, um, you know, fresh takes on the old stuff. Um, great takes on the... Um, and some great new ideas as well to bring to the series. And it's like, you can tell they really enjoy... Um, playing with canon the way they do um and yeah. yeah it's and it's it's always a joy they just yeah they improv really well off each other which is a great dynamic for that sort of actual play mm-hmm. podcast vibes that they're going for um, yeah yeah 
And if you can improv well, you can generally act very well. And I'm very happy with the mm. work all of them have given us for this series. They've all done amazing jobs. Yeah, so, so good. Yeah, Ben's terrifically menacing as the manager. Um, very, yeah, surprisingly brutal in places. It's, um, you know, um, yeah, that marks um, them out as distinct from our 15 corporate villains we have in the series. Um, look, I think I think we have an agenda, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to hide it. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, he's, yeah, no, it's, it's, still, it's a, yeah, um, the manager is a wonderful villain, I think, um, wonderfully written by Kevin and, mm-hmm. yeah, brilliantly realized. Um, I, just, I just love, um, you know, um, Ben's delivery, what was it? Um, yeah, she's new to investment. She's new to investment. Funny girl, or whatever <laughs> that was the line I was going to mention. The way that line gets thrown away by Ben is yeah. so good. So, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like a better yeah. writer because of how Ben delivered it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, no, the the whole um, guest cast was wonderful. Um, Alex, um, Collins, and um, Victoria both as. Um, the um, rest of the heist crew, Daphne and um, Solomon, um, just yeah, have a wand- bounce off each other wa- and um, the regulars wonderfully, um, you know, and um, play and yeah, bring out surprising um, some wonderful emotional depths in the characters as well, um, both in their relationships to each other and what we glean from their backstories. Um, we've got um, yeah, like I said, Guillaume is terrific as the Ood as well. Um, get some great humor out of them. Um, it yeah, was sort um, of my Bex. goal as a writer going into this script, knowing it's a fan series. It's hard enough to find one actor, let alone a dozen. Every character mm. I put in, I had to use as much as possible and give some sort of a journey, some sort of an arc, because otherwise, what's the point of bringing them in? And all of the actors we brought in, I think, did a really good job finding those moments mm. and emphasizing them. I was very happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so. I think also just giving everyone something to do made it more interesting to score because, like, mm. uh, Daphne and uh, what's the what's the name of the guy who was like Fortune Top One Hundred? Solomon. Uh, Solomon. Solomon, yeah, Daphne, Daphne, and Solomon get a bit, and they're like they're on screen for like a total of okay. The, the, first of all, there's no screen, and second, I was about to say that they're on so that we have them for a total of forty seven seconds, and that's not quite mm-hmm. true. But like you know, it's it's crazy that like I get to do this bit of like emotional uh, music hitting hitting like a about like a couple of different emotional beats within the scope of 45 seconds for these like very secondary characters in, in terms of the overall structure of the episode and like just drawing, drawing on fire ramble and really going for the Shakespearean flair, all this, it, everyone gets something. I really like that. Yeah. We've also got, um, Bex Chadwick, um, has a bigger role mm-hmm. next episode. Um, but, um, yeah, she's um, very, very funny um, and very menacing as a hench um, henchman character um, who's um, yeah, as a horn, as a horny security guard, um, and it's, <laughs> that's um, yeah, she she gets the humor of her scenes wonderfully. Again, see, they're, they're all just so well keyed into the humor. Um, Rosalie Dirk in the same vein, you know, relatively minor role as Janet, um, but um, she, mm-hmm. which was that a good place reference, Kevin? 
Was or was that just like? Because I know you love that series, and it's another like yes. admin character. Yes, it was. Yay. It was a good place reference. Base bonkers. <laughs> yeah, that is very base. I just think um, there's something inherently funny about the name Janet. <laughs> Shout out to all the Janets out there. Also, yeah. I mean, Rocky Horror. If your name's in Rocky Horror, I'm sorry, it's tainted forever. Yeah, no. Um, Rosalie is was wonderful as the villain in episode one, and was very game for doing the more minor role in this episode. And she's very funny in it. Um, just yeah, gets the quick pace of the delivery um, spot on. She also got one of my favorite scenes to write, where the moment I thought of, "Oh God, can I get away with this?" Every part of me was just like, "This is the most important scene in the whole episode. This is the best payoff I could ever do." <laughs> Um, is there anyone I've forgotten, or is that the whole cast that I've successfully um, given their shout out? Um, Caitlin Smith is sexy Ood. Sexy yes. um, as um, Ood said, T three Caitlin, such a good friend. <laughs> I made her play a sexy Ood. Uh, that was very much a case of we have a character. I think that's a compliment. We have a character <laughs> who has three lines. Are you willing to um, play play them doing a silly sexy voice? And she was very up for it. And I. Always appreciate it when my friends, you know, do stuff like that. <laughs> you always appreciate when your friends do a silly, sexy voice for you. <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh, and then, Clara, where you use some of the the music from the series towards the end of the episode? How, how do you sort of choose when to? Uh, you know, bring that into the story. Well, the re bringing back motifs. Uh, that's actually something that we've been uh, getting more input from Andrew on lately because uh, you know Andrew kind of started giving liner notes in the margins for the scripts that we were looking at, just in terms of like what kind of tone we want each scene to strike, and it's just so that the lines of communication are clear on that is because uh, there there was a bit of confusion at one point about something, uh, something on that. And just like one of the composers kind of having a hard time getting into a scene that wasn't very like uh, black or white, basically. And then like, uh, as a result of that, that's just what we're doing going forward is that like Andrew communicates like, this is what we want from this scene on the understanding that like, if we have an idea, then like, mm. Andrew's happy to just let us do our thing. But, but it's just so that there's like total clarity in what's going on yeah, there. This was, this was also just uh, the um, the score is one of the one of the aspects of production I am just no help with in terms of actually doing it because I'm not a composer. But this is maybe one thing I can do to help the composers make their life a bit easier. Because, um, you know, like yeah. without them, the production just wouldn't be half as good as it was, as it is. You know, the, they really lift the whole thing. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it was one of those, okay, if I can yeah, do this thing for them, then I'm actually helping out a bit, you know, rather than just, yeah. you know, waiting for them to do stuff and saying, have you done the stuff yet? You know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like my approach to this episode in terms of the use of motifs was that I actually ended up not reusing very many. It's like largely original material for me. And the reason for that is that like, I have like Ella's theme, but uh, the scenes that I ended up scoring weren't like huge, big emotional beats for uh, uh, blah, for Ella, 
and uh, there's the there's the ooze theme, and we kind of use that as a general action theme. But I was kind of thinking like, well, okay, it's the ood theme, so it should only be used when the ood are part of it. And I didn't really have those ones, so uh, the, like I t- I mentioned Catch Me If You Can. One of my scenes, the scene right before the main the the title theme at the start, uh, my my scene for that when they're in the TARDIS as they're talking about like oh, I need you to do a heist. Uh, my music for that is kind of like, a, what if John Williams' Catch Me If You Can was like lo-fi? And <laughs> and, and uh, I did that. And uh, I, I, I don't know if it's my favorite piece of mine, but I think it came out pretty interesting. And uh, that's also like the melody of that is just like kind of taking Yellow's motif and tugging it around all over the place. Into the different shape. Uh, there's a bit. Uh, this is a spoiler, but it's a spoiler that's on the cover. Yeah, uh, if you look at the cover, you'll notice that Ella is <laughs> kind of like her hands are splayed and she's next to a hel- helicopter. And I'm not going to say what's going on, <laughs> but you can draw your own conclusions. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, that was like another fun synthy action cue, and and uh, there were. I had cymbals going crazy and like the kind of synth run downward. That was like the doors. I, I just got that. Like, do do you, you might know writers on the storm, the big, that goes like that thing. Uh, I, <laughs> I did, I did a riff like that in for my one track in Libertalia. And then, uh, and then, and then Ella jumped out of a helicopter and I was like, well, I can do another kind of like, spin down for that because she's going down i'm a genius clara you spoiled it (laughs) (laughs) i have to say that cover speaking of is one of my favorite things ever (laughs) it's glorious it really is valentine it is it is fantastic yeah valentine it's so striking art studio and she's so talented um you want good Poldy yeah. arts, just um, go follow her uh, Twitter at, at marshcaps or um or since Twitter's going down, whatever other social media. I think she's on Instagram too, same same handle. Um, you know, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's gorgeous art and yeah. you know, as always, you know, want to plug everyone who works for us because they're very talented. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, she's terrific in this one. Um, you know, it's um mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's um, yeah. Uh, I also want to say I, I I do just like the idea of lo-fi John Williams beats to um study slash relax. <laughs> yeah, speak that yeah. into the world. Yeah, it was tricky. Turns out John Williams' music is a little bit complicated. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm just thankful I got to write something so big and bright and bold and ridiculous and get away with every idea I threw in there. I mean, <laughs> there's everything from food on jet skis to people going out of helicopters. I just went insane because I figured it's audio. We can afford it, right? <laughs> and you guys actually managed to pull it. I am so yeah. thankful. This is where I cry and sound yeah. better. Sorry, I'm kidding. You gave me lots of in- <laughs> You gave me lots of interesting stuff to do, which makes it so much easier to create interest an interesting sound world again, rather than it just being voices talking. So that, you know, honestly, that wasn't a problem at all. Um, yeah, no, it's. I agree. It's yeah. On a yeah, 
I think audio should be full of interesting sounds and bright and exciting and colorful and fun. And I think that this was, and I'm extremely proud of the finished episode. Yeah. Also, after some of the uh, sequences I gave you to do for episode one, I really can't complain about anything. So, (laughs) one of us. I like that we both edited each other's episodes. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, Well, congratulations, everyone, on um, another fantastic episode in the series. What can you tell Mm -hmm. us about what's still to come in the series? Um, let's see, we've got three stories left, um, episode nine, episode 10, and the two-part finale. Um, episode nine, um, we're staying in the future. Um, we're looking at environmentalism and, um, you know, what it takes to make a perfect utopia and the truths that might lo- lo- lurk beneath that, basically. Um, it's got some time travel themes and it's got some um, yeah, anti-capitalist themes and I think it's really, really terrific. It was um, yeah, kind of um, yeah, developed from an idea by um, our very own sexy Ud, Caitlin Smith. It's <laughs> um, written wonderfully by, um, and then written wonderfully when Caitlin didn't have time to finish the script um, by the terrific Isabel Pellick. Um, who's yeah done a really gorgeous script with um, some of my favorite character work and um, dialogue in the series. It's yeah, I'm really excited for the next one. And episode ten. And episode ten, um, which is um, going to follow on from that, but I'll save the teasers for next time. Sorry. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Great, and uh, if you'd like to let our listeners know where we can find you all and um, and your work. Absolutely. So we're at the um, 12th Doctor Fan Audios at YouTube. Just type 12th Doctor Fan Audios. You will find us straight away. Um, you know, um, there's a little um, avatar that um, Guillaume Bebet, our doctor, drew. Um, um, uh, it's um, 12 against, um, a cartoony 12 against a yellow backdrop and it's um, yeah. um, and he's pondering thoughtfully um, there's um, and you can also find us with the same avatar on Twitter at um, at DW Fan Audios or also again just type 12th Doctor Fan Audios into Twitter you should find us quite quickly um, yep so that's um, yep and yep those places you'll get information about um, the episodes as they're um, coming up um, and um, yeah, we'll, and you can uh, get some, you know, um, our, and you can get our full episodes and minisodes. Um, oh, we're also on Spotify, Anchor, um, Apple Podcasts, any podcast um, platform that you um, use. We're also um, on those, most likely. Um, and so yeah, you can also listen to us at the same, you know, sources there. Um, we've got. Um, oh, we've also got a little mini-sode coming very soon, hopefully in the next um, month, um, which I'm very excited for, um, by a um, good friend of the podcast, Audrey Armstrong, um, who recently did a video on Thasmin and its portrayal within the Whisker era that I thoroughly recommend everyone check out. And so, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's another thing to be excited for. 
I can be found on Twitter at ScribbleScript as long as Twitter survives as a thing. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to go check out Faction Paradoxes, The Boulevard, Volume 1 from Auburn's Books, which I put in a little crazy story for, which TARDIS Wiki has decided is not canon because I played the structure too much. (laughs) Which, you know, I feel like that's an achievement. And also launching later this month, I will be doing a podcast, Canine Binge Quake, watching the canine Australian TV spinoff with my friend Tom and inflicting it on a spectrum of guests, including our most recent recording was with Max from this episode. Max Curtis, now of Big Finish, who was very kind enough to watch episode two of Canine with us with absolutely no context. It's going to be a lot of fun. Outstanding. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, I... A funny joke about Twitter dying. Ha <laughs> uh, I actually feel I'm actually quite stressed about it, but I do for now have a small platform that I've worked very hard to build on. <laughs> Dylan underscore O underscore Hara. That's Dylan O'Hara on Twitter.com. Uh, I'm I'm also on uh, Instagram uh, at Clara Laherty, uh, TikTok Clara Laherty, Patreon.com slash Loafers. Uh, th- yeah, th- th- I I I continue to live, although Twitter may not. <laughs> Mamma mia! Here we go again. Oh, I picked um, the wrong episode. Uh, this episode. I hadn't. I hadn't. Um, I also um write. I, I don't just write fan fiction. Um, it's um I um so you can find my original fiction at um Andrew Davis Writer, where I'm also on Twitter, um, and um there I post um you know any short stories I get published um including with um Clara's publishing house Arc Beetle Press was I think my most recent piece um was a story. I should have mentioned the publishing house. Yes, yes, yes I think so. Um, but um, it's so that's, um, yeah, that's um, where you can find me for my original content. Um, I don't, I don't post much on Twitter under that under my real name. But um, and if you want to find me tweeting about fandom nonsense, um, you can find me at, at scarves and C. Hopefully, Twitter will still exist um, at the weekend when I put this episode out. <laughs> Uh, it's just, you gotta start diversifying. You gotta start putting up little like sixty seconds clips of episodes on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not too good at uh, that kind of thing. I did. I'm no. I sound really old, but I tried Mastodon and I couldn't get past the first page. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. That, that's that's what that's what everyone mm. of all ages mm. says to me. I don't know. Maybe it's just that I'm no longer eighteen. But like, yeah, I've, I've gotten the knack of it. It's yeah, I've decided I'm too boomer. I'm too boomery to even try uh, Macedon or TikTok or any of those. I don't speak the language. I will not be one of the kids. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been great to to hear about this latest episode. I recommend everybody check it out if you haven't already heard it. I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can uh, we can find the Twelve Talks fan audios and uh, the other things we mentioned, like the game of Rassilon. I'll, I'll put links to all of those. Mm-hmm. thank you for listening uh, join us next week another panel will be discussing something else from the world of Doctor Who and in the meantime you can find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com or on your podcatcher of choice
Thank you very much. Goodbye. Based. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.